Welcome to Pop Pantheon, the podcast where we completely overanalyze all of your favorite pop stars and then rank them in the official Pop Pantheon. This is your host, DJ Louis the Fourteenth, reminding you to please rate, review, subscribe to Pop Pantheon wherever you get your podcast. It really helps the show get in front of more people. Follow us on our social media channels. We do a lot of fun things on the Instagram in particular. We do guessing games for what the next episodes are going to be. We do question and answers. There's a lot of fun things you can experience as part of the Pop Pantheon Instagram community at Pop Pantheon Pod on Instagram. You can follow me at DJ L-O-U-I-E-X-I-V on Instagram and Twitter. And get our merch in the Pop Pantheon merch store at poppantheonpod.com. Join our Patreon at patreon.com slash poppantheon. And, of course, gorgeous, gorgeous, L.A., June 9th at Resident in downtown Los Angeles, Queer Pop Party. Of course, this is my baby of over a year. And then the next weekend, June 16th in New York City at the Sultan Room in Bushwick. I want to see all of my coastal Pop Pantheon listeners at one or the other of that party. If you're a real fan, I want to see you there. Tickets to that will be available in the show notes of this episode. This week, we have gathered for B-Side, a yearly tradition. It's been about half a year of 2023 so far, more or less. So I invited my dear friend, Miles Tanzer, who was one of the first guests ever on the show. He was our guest on our Drake episode to come on the show and talk about what's been happening in pop so far this year and share lists of our three favorite albums each and our five favorite songs each. And it was so much fun to get to talk to Miles. And he also introduced me to a lot of music that I hadn't had a chance to listen to yet that I think you guys are going to absolutely love. We picked apart some trends that we're seeing in our lists and we just had a fun time talking about what's been going down so far in 2023. So here is my conversation about pop music so far in 2023 with Miles Tanzler. Okay, I'm here once again with editor at the Wall Street Journal, Miles Tanzer. Miles, welcome back to the show. Thanks so much for having me back. I'm excited to be here. It's been too long, I think. It's been like <laughs> two years since we've done this, right? I know, yes. I'm out of the Drake cave now. I'm <laughs> back into gen pop. I'm here. I think the world is out of the Drake cave, to be honest with you, but that's a topic for another episode. <laughs> We'll see. We'll see, indeed. So we're here today to talk about the year of our Lord 2023 in pop music so far. The two of us have put together lists of our favorite pop songs of the year so far, our favorite albums of the year so far. And I want to use this as a catalyst to both reflect on what pop music has been like this year, what we've liked about it. And I have to tell you, I am so happy that you are the person that I'm talking to. I mean, I or I knew I was excited about that to begin with, but the list that you sent me, a lot of things I had not heard before, and it was nothing but bangers. Like everything yes. that I had not heard <laughs> before, I spent this weekend going through and I was like, Oh my God, I was like texting my group chats and I was like, have you heard of this song? I'm not going to, I don't want to preview it, but I was like, oh my God, like when did TK artists get good? You know, that kind of thing. So I'm so I think excited. You, I think you know what I'm talking about. But... I hope so. I Yeah, I tried to gag you a little bit. So I'm excited that it seemingly worked. No, the, ga the gag happened. The gag, I'm in full gag effect. So I guess maybe let's start the conversation off by talking about just like anything 
you've seen in like a bigger way as like a trend in music this year? Like what's been happening? I mean, even if there isn't like overarching trends, like if someone asked you like summarize in the best way that you can, like what's happened in pop so far in 2023? Like what would you say, I guess? I would say this year is a really interesting like reset year, honestly. I think in years past, we've had these huge, very broad strokes movements, especially in pop music. Like specifically, like the shift to disco was so pronounced and so specific. And Beyonce's album, I do believe, was the real end cap of that moment. Mm. And everything that's happened after is sort of a reset. It kind of mirrors what happened in the 70s after disco. You move into different sort of pop sounds, a lot of experimental stuff, people figuring themselves out. And I think that's what we're getting here now too. 2023 is a year where people are trying stuff, we're feeling out the next new sound, which is a really interesting time in music, but I don't think there's as much monoculture type stuff as there has been in the last couple of years. So we're like in a bit of like a reorganization moment, like a bit of like uh, trying to figure out where things might be going, like in that sort of way that pop can sometimes go through cycles where it's like everything feels really unified, like in, you know, 2008 through 2010, and it was like EDM dance music, everybody's making it. And then there's kind of like an explosive moment that cracks that apart. And then everyone kind of frays out in a million directions. And that's kind of like where we are are right now you think i think so i think we're in some kind of post disco haze where we're getting <laughs> bits of punk we're seeing a huge return to r&b in a lot of ways and then because of this spotify world that we're living in with all of these artists from all over the world operating on one playing field we're getting mm. so many different sounds that mm. you know haven't been part of the mainstream pop conversation before so that's another exciting piece of this seeing how that cross-cultural conversation is happening yeah that is really exciting and i think you're you're right about that my other question i guess i would like kind of pose as like a part b to this question is like what about in terms of just like rollouts or like kind of like commercial approaches that like pop stars are taking like I feel like that's been a really interesting sort of like shift also that's been going on because I think we've been living in sort of like the post visual album period of album releases like that was that had a really long tail it felt like but even for Beyonce herself last year like she obviously radically reorganized her approach to releasing music, returning once again to having advanced singles, obviously releasing no visual component to the <laughs> albums, like everything that had defined the like Beyonce release cycles and thus kind of the release cycles of all major pop stars up to this moment. Feels like we're also kind of like in a post kind of like fragmented version of that as well. Do you agree? I agree. And I think even more so than album rollouts, everything now is about the tour. Every right. single thing right. is focused on the tour. There's a reason that everyone's tour is now being branded as like eras, which is in essence what tours have always been. <laughs> but like for Taylor, it makes a little bit more sense because of all the re-releases. That's a, that's yeah. a whole other channel. <laughs> but I do think that every artist now is saying, okay, it's a tour first mentality. Artists now are playing bigger venues than they've ever played before. They're touring more than they've ever toured before. This is how artists are making their money and fans are responding by spending, spending, spending. These tickets are so expensive, but seemingly always sold out. There is never enough seats in any arena to fit all of these fans. And I think artists are responding in kind. Do you think that that's having a impact? I don't want to even like put a value judgment on it. Is that uh -huh. having an impact on 
the quality of music that's coming out? Like if the albums and music are becoming like a secondary concern, do we see that in the work that's being produced by these stars, you think? I mean, there's always lots of conversation about when artists put an album, when they get to a certain level, their songs have to work in these huge spaces. And right. it's very rare, except for maybe a Taylor, that someone could sit on stage and, and strum a guitar to an arena, unless you're right. playing to an older audience or you have that insane amount of charisma that you can pass that off. Mm -hmm. So I think in terms of pop, you know, we're going for big, big anthemic songs because that's where you're hearing this music at a tour. I'm interested also, one thing that had crossed my mind in thinking about this conversation is, so on our Patreon channel, every month we do like a kind of like new music speed round where we like take 10 new songs and we talk about whether we like them or not and like see if we can find connective tissue between them all. And one thing that's been coming up a lot lately, and I'd be curious to know if you sort of view this or how you view this, is there's also, I think, a real backwards looking nostalgia tripping trend across music right now. Like when I think about what's happening on both like the singles charts, but also just like what a lot of records are sounding like, it feels as though it's not obvious, I guess, like who in the mainstream or at least like in the sort of like A-list tier of pop music, like is really in the last six months or even the last, let's say like 18 months is like pushing things in a like forward direction, like aesthetically, like a lot of music feels like very obviously referential to past periods. Even when we're trying something new, like even if we're out of the disco moment, it feels like what's the next like nostalgia trip that we're taking. It doesn't necessarily feel like pop music is in a particularly like forward looking space. I mean, you were talking about Taylor just now. We're on the cusp of the third re-release coming out this summer. She's spent a lot of time looking backwards. And I think we talked about this in our 2022 wrap up. Like, I feel like that made Midnight sound a little bit kind of retro tailory to some degree. So I was thinking about this just in terms of like these big pop songs, like the Kim Petra song alone, or like BB Rexa song. Like there's so many hit songs this year The Rita Ora is praising you. Like there's so many songs this year that are relying, not necessarily hit songs, but there's definitely a lot of songs that are <laughs> relying I on. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was going to bring up Rita Ora's Praising You because it was one of the first songs I've ever listened to that I said, oh, this makes me feel really old because yeah. this, the sample just felt so recent and not in like a fun recent way where it was like being a clever flip on a recent song. I never want to hear it again. It, it, I like Rita Ora in that way, yeah. but yeah. I was just like, this hurts my feelings. <laughs> Yeah, but I think it kind of tracks back to what we were saying earlier, which is like the music is like functional as opposed to like having its own reason to exist. Like there's this overarching feeling for many, obviously this doesn't, but this like tracks, it's going to track through a lot of the albums and songs I'm going to talk about. Like there's not really a sense of forward looking motion right now in pop music. Like when we talk about those songs I just brought up, they're all relying so heavily on obvious nostalgia samples, right? Like to the point where it's like, does this song even really have a reason to exist aside from like making you remember the other song? And then even when some artists aren't really doing that per se, like a lot of records that I really liked that are on my list of favorite albums and songs, and we'll get to them, are quite obviously referencing past eras, sounding like past eras, creating sometimes incredibly detailed and well-made homages to past eras. 
And TikTok is also creating a situation where it's like old hits are constantly bubbling up and like becoming new hits. And it just feels in a way that's like, I don't want to necessarily place a value judgment on it, but I think as someone who is like made pop music their concern and like there's a certain uh, disturbing quality to the sort of stasis or even sort of retro feeling of pop at the moment. I totally hear what you're saying, but I think actually I'm excited because I think we're reaching a peak of that. And then that like oversampling and over interpolation, that kind of thing waxes and wanes. And I think mm. by reaching peak, we'll go down the mountain and then we'll, yeah. we'll have less of it, which is what I'm hoping for. I mean, I appreciate a good sample every so often, but I do agree with you that at times it could just feel like, especially Especially for new artists trying to get their initial first hit on the charts, they rely on an old hit to fuel that. It's something people are familiar with. It's something audiences have already heard before and people are comfortable in hearing the old stuff. Right, right. And I think it links back to what you said at the beginning of this, which is like, it's a little unclear like what the sound of pop music right now is is right i mean it just has this feeling of like the main thing you could say about it is that we're on a nostalgia trip like that seems to be like the most like obvious thing you could say about what pop in 2023 sounds like like i couldn't even point to a specific producer or aesthetic choice that feels like the sound of 2023 pop and that's interesting like that's a really intriguing moment for us to be in i think as you were going to say and maybe we'll touch on this at the end of the conversation that creates a lot of opportunity like i think there's a big void for some major artists or even like up-and-coming artist pop star to step in and sort of like help generate what that's going to be but this year has definitely felt like that's not really a thing that we have any kind of grasp on as a larger pop community i guess agreed i don't think there's been a record or an album that has really set the tone for the rest of the calendar year yet yeah um, there's still yeah. lots of time left but i do think that you know, people are doing their own things, feeling it out, releasing songs, some that they are really passionate about and agreed with you that sometimes some of these sample songs do feel like a cash grab. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's funny. It's like my barometer for those songs is, does this song make me just want to go back and listen to the original more than the new? Like, <laughs> that's how I can tell whether like it's actually like a creative and fun interpolation of the song or if it's literally just craven. Because like if the main impulse I have when listening to the song is oh shit i forgot about blue <laughs> <You> know, like, <laughs> i feel like that's probably a sign that it's not working on a creative aesthetic level for me whereas like i guess there are moments where you know even if it's not even a sample i mean one of the records i'm going to talk about is a genre experiment obviously and i think functions very well as its own thing but even that like sometimes i'll hear even in this the disco revival of the last three years like a lot of times i would hear music from that and i'd be like do i really want to listen to this more than I want to listen to like what it's big upping you know ultimately you know it's like totally. is this stacking up in any sort of meaningful way and like sometimes the answer is yes and sometimes the answer is no but I think a lot of music this year there's a secondariness to some of this like it's like a functional thing that they have to do but isn't necessarily like their number one concern and that's how I think we can end up in a little bit of like a static feeling with 
the course of pop, I guess. Last question before we get to talking about our records. Are there any like pop stars, big or small, in the last six months that you feel like have kind of leveled up in meaningful ways? Like, are there particular artists or stars that have a new artist or existing pop stars that have sort of like made a meaningful up level in their career over the last six months? Definitely. I think number one, I know you're level obsessed. I don't think she's at tier one level yet. But I'm super proud and happy to see the success of Kim Petras. You know, it Mm. definitely seemed that, you know, she had her debut album ready, which was rumored to be called Problematique. And and it leaked. Debut album in heavy quotation marks, please. Exactly. We've heard so much music from her. Every gay person I know has seen her perform live at least five times. (laughs) Myself included. I think she's great. But yeah, I I honestly think that when the quote-unquote debut album leaked and then was shelved, I was like, oh, this could be the end for her. That would be sad. I think she's very talented and I and mm-hmm. I like lots of her music. And it seemed like things were going that way or, you know, would take a pause and reset and whatever. But because of Unholy, she was really able to level her career up. Um, Just today, she was on the cover of Sports Illustrated, the swimsuit edition. Like mm-hmm. This would not even be in contention a year ago, you know? Mm-hmm. I think it's mm-hmm. super impressive and awesome that she's been able to have a big mainstreaming moment. And I just think it's awesome. And I'm super happy to see it. Yeah, I mean, we can talk about like what her post Unholy output has been like on an aesthetic <laughs> level, but like yeah. I do agree, obviously she's become much more famous. She became the first trans person or out trans person to win that Grammy award that she won. Like, yep. I honestly think, maybe controversially that speech is like the best hit she's put out this year potentially <laughs> I <laughs> but, see uh... that. oh my god thank you so much um crazy sam i love you so much and this song has been such an incredible incredible journey for me and sam has been a supporter of mine for so long um sam graciously wanted me to accept this award because i'm the first uh transgender woman to win this award <laughs> <laughs> and I'm so <laughs> thank you. Um, and I just want to thank um, all the incredible transgender legends before me who kicked these doors open for me so I could be here tonight. Um, Sophie, especially um, my friend who passed away two years ago, who told me this would happen and always believed in me. Um, Thank you so much for your inspiration, Sophie. Um, I adore you and uh, your inspiration will forever be in my music. Um, Madonna for fighting for LGBTQ rights. Um, So much, I don't think I could be here without Madonna. Um, My mother, um, I grew up uh, next to a highway in nowhere, Germany, and my mother believed me that I was a girl and um, I wouldn't be here without her um, and her support (laughs) and everyone who believed in me um, to this point um, I love you so much the Recording Academy thank you this is a huge moment for me Sam thank you you're a true angel and hero in my life and I love you 
And it'll be interesting to hear what this record sounds like. I couldn't believe she announced it this morning. I was like, oh my God. And like, I was like, all right, this is like a moment. This is definitely like a pivotal, it feels like a pivotal moment for her in her career in terms of like, can she capitalize on the level of interest in her post Unholy and like do something that expands her, the audience outside of the queer pop music phantom, I guess, you know, that sort of feels like where she is. I guess definitely. the other one that, that I would really put out there that feels like she has absolutely defined the last six months and feels like the most important emergent new star is Ice Spice. It just seems like Ice Spice is the one big like new pop figure that feels like she's been able to like really kind of like dominate the conversation for an extended period of time across numerous singles. She's internet obsessive. She's got actual hits like that are charting on the top of the charts. Like she's got a really distinctive style and look and I think her music more than anybody's like feels modern and contemporary and feels as though it is like clearly part of 2023. In the party he just wanna romp. Big boobs in the bus they plump. She a baddie, she knows she a 10. She a baddie with her baddie friend. They like I tell you always stay hot. Oh they mad cause I keep making bops. Oh she mad cause I'm taking her spot. If I was bitches I'd hate me a lot. Like damn she and her move. And she feels like a completely modern pop star in the sense that she's a rapper but like that is a pop star in 2023 and she's got a very obvious and distinctive voice and style and she's got like a look that people are obsessed with she's incredibly memeable she to me is the true ascendant pop girly of the moment feels like she's had like an incredible last six months and I'm really excited about her and we can talk a little bit more about her I guess we get to the music but I felt like she was important to highlight I guess in this conversation agreed all right so let's get into our faves of the year so far. I think let's start with albums and discuss. We each came up with our three favorite albums of the year. Let's go one for one. You can start us off. Tell me what your first, this is I, This is not in a particular order. These are just Miles' three favorite records of the year. What's the first one that you'd like to talk about? And will you tell us like what jumped out to you about it exactly? Sure. My first one is Desire I Want to Turn Into You by Caroline Polachek. I think for me, there has been so many albums and singles and attempted reboots of careers of songs about nature and the sunshine and that sort of thing. And I've liked many of them, including the most prominent example, Solar Power by Lord. I, I will stand by that. We have a that. Solar Power apologist in our midst, everybody. I will stand by it. But what this album is kind of, I think, successfully delivers on that concept and makes it beyond something that's a tribute or just a novelty. And I think it songs like Sunset and Blood and Butter and I Believe have this super airy naturalistic quality to them. I'm wild about her vocals and the auto-tune. I just think it seems so original to me. She's exceptional. I think music is, it's exactly the opposite of what we talked about before to me. It doesn't feel sampley. It doesn't feel referential, even though it, it has roots in like a lot of what's come before it. I'm just really impressed by it. And I really like listening to it. It's an album I felt like I listened to once 
thought it was really good and kept coming back to over and over again. I'm with you. I do really like this album a lot. I, it's somehow like both soothing and immediate, weirdly, like ethereal and like gives you something to chew on. Like I find myself like moved by it, but also you can sort of let it like wash over you in this weird way. And she does have a very distinctive, you could say that sounds like a Carolyn Polachek song in a way that I feel like, you know, is weirdly maybe unique in the pop firmament at the moment. And I thought that she really did a nice job, I guess, of expanding the aesthetic values that she was positioning on that first record. Do you feel like this stacks up in meaningful ways to that music? Like, how do you feel like this fits in in terms of like her evolution from that first album into the second album? And I also wonder what you think about like how this has expanded her fan base or her sort of spot in pop music? Like, do you feel like she has reached some sort of like new, bigger audience? Like, where is Carolyn, I guess, in the more general like pop space at the moment? Yeah, like everyone else, she's playing bigger venues. I think, you know, she's such a pitchfork favorite. I, I think yeah. they kind of double down on her, rightfully so. I think this is a yeah. better album than Peng, which was a really strong debut. Yeah. I think it's just more cohesive. I don't know if there's a song as big of a swing and hit as yeah. So Hot Your Heart in my feelings for me yeah. but I mean mm -hmm. Bunny as a writer is really outstanding too yeah I just think this is a great step up the ladder for her in terms of quality and resonance and we'll see more from her we'll see a third album and I do think that will be possibly a big moment for her my first one is a cheat and I'm just going to put that out there. I don't care. It's my <laughs> podcast. This record did not come out technically in the calendar year 2023, but it did come out after our episode on pop in 2022. And it came out after I think most critics lists came out in terms of like what pop was like in that year. So I'm going to put SZA's SOS as my first favorite album of the year. I was incredibly like everybody else in heavy anticipation of this record. I loved Control. It's probably one of my favorite albums of that decade. It was an album that I really like lived inside of for a long time. It was like one of those rare records I find that comes into my life and like just I'm addicted to it. Like I just want to listen to it all the time. And it had a really long tail for me in that way. Like I was just turning to it constantly as something that like made me emotional, made me think. I just think she's such a once in a generation like songwriting talent. Like there's something about the way that SZA writes that feels incredibly, actually again, like you were talking about Carolyn, feels incredibly not of the sort of trend that we've been talking about of sort of backwards looking. It's incredibly modern. It's almost like the thoughts are spilling out of her brain, like tweets or texts or something like that. And it feels very much like stream of consciousness in the most sort of 2023 version of that word. And I saw the track listing for SOS and I panicked because I was like, oh my God, she's making a fucking 23 song album. And I was just like, I really loved like escaping into the world of control. And like, it felt like a very contained kind of album album to me. And I was pleasantly surprised because it doesn't function for me in the same way that Control works as like a cohesive album journey necessarily. It is kind of like a little bit data dumpy, but 
I was just really pleasantly surprised at how many of the songs I like and how much I feel like her songwriting has only improved and gotten sharper. Like every song to me has like bars on it that just like hit me like knife to the heart. I really appreciate that she has continued to kind of like mold this persona as someone that's like really willing to put like the complexity of the human experience and emotions, including everything kind of dirty and dark out there in a way that feels weirdly healing. There's an interesting like sort of way that she's able to like render kind of weird dark things on record and yet it comes across in a way that like somehow feels again like a bomb or like soothing in this weird way. I wonder if it just has to do with feeling seen. Also the texture of the music, you know, again, another record that I think maybe we're both gravitating towards in some ways anti the trends of pop that sounds not backwards looking like the music sounds definitely like firmly of the present time and I just found that no matter how many styles she tried to inhabit and like there's a lot of diversity on this album she tries pop punk she tries like more kind of like direct rapping she tries kind of straight ahead almost like Taylor Swifty and pop ballads There's lots of diversity going on here, and yet it functions for me as something cohesive to the extent that I like listening to it all together. And I think she's proven herself quite adept at all of the style she attempts here. So I was just incredibly impressed with this album. I keep returning to it. I thought the tour was fucking fantastic and did an amazing job of scaling up pretty intimate music into an arena-sized spectacular, which I was really curious how she was going to do it. And she did it so well. And she has incredible stage presence and was able to like just without sacrificing like what makes her cool, which is her introspection and her inward lookingness into something that felt scaled up to an arena, which was so impressive. So this record has really stuck with me through 2023 and I just love it on numerous levels. I definitely stand this album as well. I do think that, you know, she has drawn so many comparisons to Joni Mitchell and we're still waiting for that song, Joni, the extra that she has and has teased forever. But this album really kind of cemented that comparison for me. I think you mentioned the songwriting, but I do think that she is in such a unique category of her own. Just the lyrics translate so well on record and they're so meaningful and... I'm just head over heels for it. I do think you mentioned the punk stuff too. Like F to F for me was such an unexpected standout on the album. Screamed the first time I heard that Miles. Like full <laughs> exactly. like, screamed alone in my apartment. <laughs> Exactly. And I think there's a whole follow-up album to be have of just that sort of stuff. I wonder if there's more. I guess we'll see if she does follow through on her promise of a deluxe album. As well as, you know, Kill Bill having her first number one song on the singles chart. That is a very interesting record to hit number one. It kind of speaks to what kind of year in pop we're having where very depressive, vengeful song Mm -hmm. is such a unique out-of-the-box hit. It's really great. And I'm just happy to see that after so long taking to craft this album that she really delivered. It doesn't seem belabored, even though it's super long. It feels cohesive. It feels great. Yeah, I agree with you. I think it speaks to the moment we're in, in like the sound of pop. But I also think her entire success 
success this year. I mean, this record was number one for what, like 11 weeks straight or something like that. Like the longest running number one since like 21. I think it speaks also to the way that pop stardom has changed in nature to such a massive degree. I mean, when I was in Madison Square Garden, looking at the like kids in that audience knowing every fucking word to every one of these songs. If SZA had come out when you and I were their age, she would have been such a fringy, niche type of artist, I feel like. Just the, given the nature of what pop stardom looked like in, you know, 2000, 2000 2001, 2003, whatever. Even, or, or even 2013, to be honest with you. Like, there's something about the way that pop stardom has become about cults of personality around artists that have, like, really idiosyncratic and recognizable styles as opposed to, like, mass Max Martin driven sort of like heat seeking <laughs> missile pop hits that like I think she is like the biggest manifestation of or she and Billie Eilish are perhaps like the biggest manifestations of where it's like you can make incredibly weird non-conventional non like traditionally radio friendly sounding pop records that are about like sort of world building exercises that then turn you into the biggest pop star of the moment without needing to make any sort of like obvious or traditional like concessions towards quote unquote like mainstream radio pop and to me when I watched her on stage at Madison Square Garden that like connected for me in this huge way where I was just like what is demanded of pop stardom in the year 2023 is just radically radically different than I think maybe it's ever been in the modern era like we really have made a shift in that way agreed it's a crazy time all the conventional rules are broken and that's fun yeah it's fun and I think it allows for weirder music to exist at a larger scale which is really interesting I think and also for pop stars to not have the impetus on them to appeal to every single person on the earth like you think about the fact that like SZA can be both kind of like one of the biggest pop stars of the moment and yet there's probably plenty of people that have like probably never heard a song of hers and same goes for Billie Eilish who I think they they share quite a lot in common in this way it's an interesting to sort of reorganization as you said like dissolving of the monoculture in this way that like you know when Michael Jackson was the biggest star on earth there was nobody on the planet that hadn't heard all those songs you know whereas like that's just not the world that we exist in anymore totally to that point like artists like Carol G and Blackpink can play the right. biggest stadiums in this country with multiple mm -hmm. dates at each stadium and I bet if you asked a hundred people in Times Square if you've ever heard a song by either of them the yeah. answers would be shockingly low. Yeah, agree. And I think Bad Bunny maybe like, I mean, I think a lot of people have heard Bad Bunny's music at this point, but I think he fits this as well. I mean, here's an artist that sings entirely in Spanish for the most part, has really made like very little concessions towards like traditional pop and like is the biggest artist on the planet. Like you, like couldn't, you can't be bigger. So I think he also fits in this little trend as well. Exactly. What's your second record? It's funny when you kind of issued this question and challenged me your top three albums of the year so far. I really thought about how I jokingly said to you, I was like, I really am in my indie era because <laughs> my second album that I've been obsessed with the most is Red Moon and Venus by Caliucci's. We talked a little bit before about a record that kind of advances your sound and career. And I think this is such a leap forward for her while not being a complete pivot. From top to bottom, the album is so lush. It sounds mm. incredible. For me, Endlessly is a standout song. To me, it sounds like old Whitney. It sounds like there's like a bit of Mariah in other songs. It's just like this profusion of love. It's beautiful. I think this album has a lot of 
huge songs on it. And I think we'll talk later about like our songs and albums that haven't gotten their due yet. I would love to see this album, multiple tracks of it pop on TikTok more than they already are. I think this album is like the sleeper hit of the year, even though it's done pretty well. I just think it's great and I'm happy to see her continuing to improve her craft as she continues to build her career. I think this album is so good. It's so good. And it's interesting too, because I think she fits interestingly into this conversation too, because she's another one that isn't necessary. I mean, I know Telepatia, which is not on the record, was a pretty big hit last year. But like this record hasn't spun off like a traditional massive like radio crossover hit. But like she feels like she's huge. I mean, I saw her playing... I think maybe multiple nights at Radio City last week. Like she is actually, you know, similarly to Rosalia a little bit is another one that I feel like is just getting bigger and bigger again without sort of needing to exist on radio really that much. Like it's an interesting yet another sort of like expansion of the niche legendum, not to toot my own horn, but like I do think this is the overarching like career path for a lot of pop stars right now. It's like, it is a really fun thing where it's like almost like the radio feels like siphoned off from like top tier pop stardom. They're like different ecosystems entirely, which is like when you think about pop history, that's like seems like an insane thing to say. Like so many pop stars that we think about today as like the canonical ones are so tied to their like runs of hit singles. Like you think about Janet, you think about Britney, you think about like all of the stars of your Gaga, Katie, I mean like all of them. The conversation is so distinctly tied to their like run of smash monocultural hits. And here we are talking about like pop star after pop star that I feel like just defies that over and over again. And like, they just get bigger and bigger. And as you're saying, they're touring the same venues that a Gaga would have been touring in 2009, 10, whatever. Yeah. But yet like no impetus, no need to have these like concessional pop hits. It's so interesting. Like Callie, which is, I agree with you. This album is so sensual, sultry, like loved up. I hear a lot of like 70s funk, which I think has been like a big part of her aesthetic for a long time. Like I kept thinking, obviously she's collaborated in the past with Thundercat who feels like a real, I don't think he's on this record, but I think is like a kind of like spiritual sibling to her in some ways. I also heard a lot of two things. One, I was like, is this like a modern reiteration of Neo Soul or something like that? Like a sort of like rethinking of like what that could sound like in 2023. And then I also heard Sade. Like I kept thinking yes. on a bunch of these songs, like on Blue, for instance, I was like, she has a lot in common with Sade. Like her voice can sometimes actually like weirdly almost sound like hers. A word that's coming up a lot, actually, soothing. There's something very relaxing about listening to this music, even when she's dealing with complex, like, romantic entanglements. Like, it's never less than something that feels like you just kind of want to slip into a bath while you're listening to it or something like that. Agreed. I think for so long, there's been a lot of conversations, like, so much of what, like, the journalist Garrett Kennedy has written has been about, like, the evolution of R&B over the last decade or two. It's interesting to see modes of R&B, like so much of SZA's album and a lot of this Kalyusha's album and just a lot of other albums for R&B to worm its way back into pop, as you're saying, the kind of niche legend way, as well as just an expansion of what pop is, right? Yeah. As we keep saying, like, 
we are so far away from a Katy Perry domination era. That's just, it's funny we say that Bad Bunny has way more listeners than Katy Perry probably ever did have. Right, right. So math is crazy, you know? I guess maybe it's just the route to it or who those people are is maybe different. Like exactly. Bad Bunny maybe has more fans on mass, but also has a lot of fans that probably like wouldn't have in 2013, like thought of themselves as radio listeners or conventional pop fans. Like he's able to be both like an A-list sort of monocultural phenomenon at the same time as seeming cool and accessible to people that like wouldn't want to be part of that movement necessarily. So like the worlds of like what is pop and what is more fringe, it's hard to know what that line is exactly in this, in this moment. And I wonder also about the soothingness, like how much we're all looking for music that is relaxing. I mean, this we're also coming out of an extremely stressful time period in new, from numerous angles, or not even coming out of, maybe we're still in one, I don't know, but we're definitely exiting like one of the more chaotic periods of, I think, most people's lives. And I wonder how much we are sort of gravitating towards music that feels soothing or that it can sort of feel like a little bit of a warm blanket. And I wonder how much of the nostalgia tripping has to do with that. I mean, obviously, nostalgia is a source of comfort in the same way that like when you are picking a movie at night do you want to challenge yourself and watch something new or do you want to watch clueless for the 3000th time there is that element of calming that comes with looking back or something like that or sinking into something you know is familiar so i wonder if those two things together those two sort of threads that are seeming to run through a lot of this music are linked to our just general exhaustion at the chaos of the world that has gone on recently just a thought i'm having it actually maybe applies (laughs) to my next record which is my second is did you know that there's a tunnel under ocean boulevard by lana del rey of course lana's music can both scan as calming and soothing and also like disturbing and upsetting (laughs) oftentimes (laughs) i would characterize myself as a pretty big lana fan but her purchase for me can vary album to album it's funny because she obviously has such a defined world and a defined aesthetic that like runs through most of her work like it's not like lana makes massive sonic pivots album to album she makes subtler ones and she has makes expansive sort of approaches to the character as the albums unfurl so it's, it's always interesting to me that like some of them just like work so much better for me than others do but this one just really clicked for me and I think does represent a pretty interesting pivot or maybe the end of a pivot towards more confessional music towards music that feels less sort of absorbed with cliche less absorbed with the character of Lana Del Rey it's dealing a lot with family there's a real sense of intimacy and revelation that I think she's been working towards over her last couple of albums and again another artist like SZA who I think the song Songcraft expansion from the beginning of her career towards now has just like been completely remarkable. And I think this record represents kind of another apex in a series of them of just like someone that's really become a real auteur of the American experience. And I think it's just a consistently like mystifying and also gratifying Lana album. Again, the personal detail, way the music is, the way it explores different past Lana modes. You get kind of some trap Lana, you get folk Lana.
I just find this album like endlessly interesting and I find myself just like returning to it over and over again and being extremely like absorbed in the journey. Like most Lana albums, could it be 20 minutes shorter and maybe that would have been nice <laughs> and like a little, maybe made it hit even harder? Maybe. But Lana music functions for me as such like an album oriented thing. Like it's the kind of thing where I really want to like put on a Lana album and like get absorbed into the mood for the entire thing. Like I find when I add Lana to like playlists with other contemporary pop music, I'm like, oh, I don't what, like I don't want to hear like sweet out of context or something like that. So <laughs> and this just really functions in that way for me. Like I love to put it on and just kind of sink into the world of this record. And, and there's a lot of really moving and truly kind of revelational things on it that like I think is a well-earned and like really expanded version of like what Lana's done in the past. So this record's really worked well for me. I agree. I mean, to be completely honest, I didn't spend as much time with this album that I have with past Lana albums because, you know, in my most personal podcast confession yet, I just felt like this album really hit me hard and like depressed me. And, and mm. going back to repeat listens as much as I have in the past was a yeah. tougher challenge. But I mean, I do you think she really cuts me to the core and this album is no different. I think Kintsugi is like a new high bar for me in terms of her songwriting. And I just can't stop crying because all of the ways when you see someone dying see of your days flash in front of you and you think about who will be with you and then there's Donna Throughout, I just kept thinking of Courtney Love's appearance on Mark Marin, where she talks so much about the kind of songwriter that Lana is, where she said that Bruce Springsteen texted her that she's the best American songwriter now and all these like yeah. amazing moments. But also, I can't believe this is my second Joni Mitchell shout out. Really, Lana too. Like, And yeah. it's funny because Courtney said in that interview that she bought her all the Joni records and gave it to her because she had never heard it. And I feel like that influences really her too. You know, Lana always refers to herself as a poet. And I think this album is one of her most poetic albums. Yes. It's really beautiful. It's really thought out. It's just, it's great. I'm buying the Lana Del Rey stock infinitely. You know, there's been so many times where people have counted her out, but I think she just continues to deliver. Even if some, like, honestly, like Joni Mitchell, like some of those later albums are really sleepy. And then the next one, she just gathers you. And yeah. I think Lana is on the same sort of career path. So true. I think, you know, what's so interesting too is like, I, I agree with everything you said and like the songwriting has just become so sharp and next level. And yet there's also like a real sense of looseness and almost like stream of consciousness. You brought up Kintsugi. I mean, the lyrics on that sound like they are just like free association in this way that's <laughs> like, again, I she has leaned into that almost like poeticism in her lyrical content. You go back and listen to A Born to Die and it's almost irreconcilable like that this is the <laughs> same artist. I mean, it's, it's unbelievable. She has completely refined her craft to the extent that I think she's kind of free to do whatever she wants in this way. And it's like extremely thrilling to listen to the way that she can like stretch her songwriting and the way that she approaches the lyrics are just like, as you said, gut 
gut punch. I mean, there's a couple moments on this record where I'm just like, oh my God, like she is, <laughs> she's contemplating death. You know, I posited to Shad D'Souza when we did our episode on this, is the tunnel sort of like the connection between the living and the dead? There's a lot of existential <laughs> questions that are being yes. posed by this record. And she does that all without ever coming across as heavy handed. Like it's a really moving exploration of that connection and what that means about family, what that means about how she's going to be remembered. It's just, I think this is a magnificent Lana Lana album. All right, so what's your third? My third, if you cheated a bit with SZA, I'm also cheating a bit, <laughs> even though this album did have a deluxe re-release in 2023, which is why I feel like I'm counting. The jury says we accept this. Okay, as well as its biggest hit, popping in this year because of TikTok. So I felt like right. with the hit and the and the re-release, I felt like I'm in good shape. Mm -hmm. My third favorite album of the year is Emails I Can't Send by Sabrina Carpenter. Oh, yeah. This album rules. I think it is so good. I guess the thing I can compare it to the most, which kind of unlocks something for me in it, it's very like early Lily Allen oh, to me. It's very wry. It's fun it feels confessional the songwriting is really sharp the biggest hit off the album is nonsense which popped on tiktok i'll be honest looking at you got me thinking nonsense caught was in my stomach when you walk in when you got your arms around me oh it feels so good i had to jump the octave the co-writers on it are steph holmes and julianne bunetta who wrote slow hands which is the greatest mm. post One Direction pop song, in my opinion. <laughs> I think Nonsense is just a slapper. There's Skinny Dipping, which like has gone viral. I've seen funny tweets about it because it's the most Julia Michaels song that I think she's ever co-written on. There's this part yes. where she talks about running into her ex in a coffee shop and the line is, Shannon's being Shannon. And you're like, wow, that is so over the top Julia Michaels writing i love it and then on the deluxe you know there's the song feather and then there's the song on the regular album fast times that to me are very like that sort of lily allen like sharp kind of british mm. this weird pop singing Basically, this album made me want to see a lot more from Sabrina Carpenter, which is something I didn't anticipate to say on a podcast this year. So I just really like this album. I think it's super listenable. You could tell she's definitely in some songs, you know, trying to find her sound. And she's released projects before this. This isn't her first project. This is her fifth album I was completely shocked <laughs> to discover yesterday. I just think it's a great album. So I would encourage everyone to go out and listen to this album. Yes, this was one that I had not listened to until you sent me your list. And I listened to it yesterday. And it's so interesting because I couldn't think about it outside of the context of Olivia. You know, I was just completely, because obviously like, wow, has this love triangle been a furtive, creative <laughs> space for people? Yes. Like, my God. I mean, I was trying to think of other, other moments in pop history, like maybe Lemonade is another example. Lemonade in 444, where like one situation has like spun out from lots of different artist perspectives like on the same thing that happened but I obviously was completely like combing this thinking about like okay like here's another perspective on a similar event yes there is the song about the guy and about the backlash that she faced I do skip it because it's a lot it's, 
it's almost like it's you know you listen to it a couple of times and you're like got it it reminds me of like haunted by taylor where you're like oh this is your song about the thing i respect that yeah. you did that and at the time it was great but like don't need that every playback like we're good i listened to i literally listened to speak now yesterday and skipped haunted i was literally like there oh that's so funny i was like, like just I got thinking it. about how i, I don't need it. to I listen to that it. song ever again nope. yeah no but it, i agree I, this was a very pleasant surprise to me i was like i who the fuck knew like definitely hear julia a lot some moments here ariana but like she's a good writer like there's a real sense of like specificity in the lyrical content on this that was like really striking to me like i was like oh i'm here with you like i'm right here in this situation with you like she and that is a that's a lily allen definitely a lily allen trait she's got a really interesting sounding voice the music is cohesive yet kind of like multi-genre slash no genre like it's like it's that is very 2023 in this way i think you know interesting that you're gravitating towards music that's actually really defying the trends that we were speaking about earlier at least your albums list we'll talk about your your songs list next Great. but yeah wait. like this was a really nice surprise i really enjoyed listening to this record she I'm is a so very glad. interesting singer and songwriter and i will certainly be returning to this album it was really unexpectedly good and kind of honestly surprised that some of these songs aren't bigger hits like you would think that like the secondary album to the olivia rodrigo triangle thing would be like trash and garbage and horrible and like not nearly stack up to that in so many ways but like there's plenty of songs on here that feel like they could be hits on the radio and i was i was really impressed and i'm sort of surprised that that isn't happening agreed and you know what i love rooting for a villain i'll just say that like I'm here for like the blonde girl getting her comeback moment. Like I, I just, <laughs> I just enjoy the whole thing about it. Like, I'm sorry. Yeah, no, honestly, this was a very nice surprise. Yeah. My last record just came out recently, but I still feel comfortable putting it on here, which is Jesse wears that feels good. <laughs> I don't know how to say this properly, <laughs> which is Jesse wears second disco record after What's Your Pleasure, another album I very much enjoyed. We just spoke about this in a Patreon episode, so I'm going to keep this brief. If you want to hear more thoughts on it, you can go subscribe to our Patreon channel, patreon.com slash But I was pleasantly surprised that a sequel didn't disappoint in this particular instance. Usually when an artist is reapproaching from the same angle once again, I mean, this is true in film, this is true in TV, this is true across all artistic mediums. There's diminishing returns as the project rolls on. But I found this album at least equally gratifying to What's Your Pleasure, which is a nice, not you, which is a nice uh, compliment. <laughs> I'm really interested to hear your thoughts. I thought that she refined, sharpened, boiled down to its bare essentials and made a tighter sounding album. I don't know if it explores the same like sort of different moods and textures that What's Your Pleasure did, where I felt like I got to experience a lot of different sort of emotional beats and there was a lot of like interest in terms of like taking disco and sort of displacing it from the 1970s and exploring it through post-disco like brittle kind of funk computerized disco of the early 1980s there was house music on what's your pleasure she took the concept of disco and showed us that disco has never died i guess in a really studied and effective way on that record and also as i said brought a lot of emotional heft to it that like for instance dua lipa i don't think possesses the ability to do necessarily in what julianne escobedo shepherd hilariously referred to in her pitchfork review of that feels good as corpa disco but <laughs> This record, I just like a lot of the songs. I don't know as I've listened to it more and more that it's like as gratifying on an emotional level as I was saying as What's Your Pleasure is, but pound for pound, I really love a lot of these songs. I love 
the title track. I think Pearls, again, would have been a great Dua Lipa single in another universe. I think Begin Again is one of my favorite of these Jesse Ware disco songs ever. There's a lot of cheekiness and fun on like Shake the Bottle. I love her voice. I mean, she's just a fucking phenomenal singer. The joyousness, the ecstasy, the pleasure. I mean, this is a word I keep returning to about Jessie Ware's take on disco is that she really like can deliver the sort of lush, sensual, sexual pleasure. And I really enjoy Jessie Ware as disco diva because there's so much about the disco diva that is rooted in being somewhat outside of the sort of like mainstream conventional pop star. Like in the disco era, a lot of the people that were having success were black women, plus size women, older divas looking for a comeback, queer people, Sylvester. I mean, there was a lot of space within disco to be not like the perfect looking 21 year old pop phenom and Jessie Ware is like you know in a latter part of her career she's a mother she's in her late 30s which in pop speak basically makes her 75 years old <laughs> so I think that she really captures a lot of the spirit of the disco diva in the way that like a Doja Cat can't or in the way that even a Dua as much as I like that album like doesn't really capture for me so this really worked for me I saw you shaking your head earlier so I want to know what you have to say it's funny because I feel like we've been so locked up this entire time and here we are Freya and while I do enjoy this album for me what's your pleasure was such a kind of like revelation for her career I, I felt like mm -hmm. she finally found her lane and I'm obsessed with that album. This album left me feeling like not as obsessed basically. I think it's really good. I think there are highlights. For me like Shake the Bottle is so fun and insane. Yes. yourself and pearls and begin again like all great but for mm -hmm. the rest for me i'm fine i think it's very good but like on my first listen through it i was like oh i wanted more i don't know it just left me wanting more what do you think's missing here that was on what's your pleasure you know for me for what's your pleasure like remember where you are is just such a stunning Ugh. song and for me like that is her best song ever her best song ever and i think i was looking for a highlight like that mm. whereas this album i can put it on from front to back and not skip a song i'll let it fade into the background vibe out have that disco moment I felt like that song has such heart and sounds so fresh, even though it feels mm -hmm. referential. It's it's mm -hmm. such an amazing piece, really. There wasn't that like sink your teeth into moment on this album. And that's what I felt like I came to the album for and didn't get. I think that's a very fair critique. What I will say about this, as I sort of mentioned earlier, that I don't think 
it shares with what's your pleasure is again that kind of like almost like I, I want to use the word sleaze in a sense, but like because I think remember what you are like has a little bit of that like sort of that thing about the seventies that I think like again the Dua Lipa records like just don't capture at all, which is like this sense of sort of druggy, sleazy, hazy hedonism, I guess, and and the darker tones that that can have. And I think that what your pleasure did really effectively capture both kind of the ebullience and that element, which like is what I think distinguishes it from the other records from the disco revival wave of this recent couple of years. And I do think this feels more streamlined and more just kind of like existing on like one kind of like note a little bit more to me. And so I can see what you're saying. I just think for me, the thing that I think makes it work for me is what you were saying, which is like all the songs are good. And like, I just really enjoy listening. Like I put it on and I'm like, this is a great listen as a record. And like, I really enjoy how she functions in the context of this style and like her sense of what this style me- like actually is about, not just in a sort of karaoke-ish way. Like this music transcends pastiche for me in a way that I think is impressive. And I, I like her in this mode. So it'll be interesting to see like whether she sticks with this or not, I guess. And maybe, I don't know how much she can kind of keep hitting this note over and over again, but I was happy to get another set of this type of music from my girl, Jesse. I'm very much looking forward for the next one because I've been a fan since the beginning and I just can't wait to hear more. I love her. Yeah. I think she's great. Yes. Phenomenal. Are you enjoying this episode? Do you like what you're hearing? Well, you might need to subscribe to our Patreon channel, Pop Pantheon All Access. If you join for just five bucks a month at the Icon tier, you'll get access to all of our bonus content. This includes deep dives into classic albums like Janet's The Velvet Rope with Rich Doswiak, Taylor Swift's Reputation with Britney Spanos, and Britney's Blackout with Troy McKitty, as well as reviews of new records like SZA's SOS with Owen Myers and Miley's Endless Summer Vacation with Shad D'Souza. With new episodes being published all the time, we also touch on all your favorite new songs, fluctuating pop star Pantheon on positions and so much more plus you get access to our discord channel the guest list at my party gorgeous gorgeous and a ton of other great perks so sign up today at patreon.com slash pop pantheon or by clicking the link in the show notes of this episode all right let's move on to songs what's your first of your five songs that are your five standouts so far from 2023 okay so this is my favorite country song of the year so far Mm. that is Mm -hmm. in that country pop vein it's called i'm not pretty it's by megan maroney basically about your ex's new girlfriend stalking you on Instagram. And it is (laughs) such a good song. I think the writing is so sharp. Megan Maroney experienced a bit of like tabloid fame because she was linked to Morgan Wallen earlier this year. Oh, shit. (laughs) Yeah. And so she is this kind of interesting country singer. She's literally like the prettiest girl in your sorority who is like funny and cool. I just think she's like so major. And this song rips. I love it. Mm, It's so good. It was really giving me early Casey vibes, I have to say. Totally. Yes. Which is a high, high compliment. I kn- And I know you agree. As a day zero Casey stan, <laughs> like I heard the song and was like, oh, this is my girl. Like, I, this is my type of girl. Like, I'm here yeah. for it. As someone who's like not a conventional country person, this really speaks to me. This is one of the songs, Miles, that I had obviously not heard before you sent it. And I was like, she has taste. What can I say? 
This is so good. I I really, really, really enjoyed this song a lot. Put this on repeat and actually sent it to Bobby Finger immediately after I heard it because we did that Casey episode and I was like, I know who's going to love this fucking song. And he was like, oh my God. I was like, yeah, exactly. (laughs) So thank you for bringing this into my life. My first songs, I cheated again. And also I'm not going to say too much because we sort of already talked about this, but it's Ice Spice's three hits from this year, which like, I don't feel like it's possible to sort of like single one out necessarily. It's more about them as a group. It's her obvious smash collaboration with Pink Panthers, Boys a Liar or Lear Part 2, her collaboration with Nikki on the Princess Diana remix, and In Her Mood, her solo hit. I just am completely obsessed with Ice Vice. I just think she is a fucking trip and a fucking half. She makes me laugh. I think she's a great presence on record. I love her raps. I love her in all of these different modes too because the original Ice Spice mode was like her sort of lackadaisical thing happening over these like really sharp drill beats and that was kind of like the aesthetic of Munch that like, you know, was kind of like, we. I don't think I'd ever really heard a drill song with like that lyrical and like vocal approach to it and that was sort of the fun of it. And then it was really fun on Boys Alier to sort of hear the opposite, which is like her over this like garage meets like hyper poppy, like really light sounding beat that sort of matched her energy in a certain way and also really worked amazingly. And it's just like such a delight and funny and just ridiculous and enjoyable pop song. He said I'm good enough, got him out the road. Think about shit that I shouldn't know. So I tell him it's one of me, he making fun of me. His girl is a bum to me, like that boy is a cap. Saying he home, but I know where he at. Like, but he blowing her back. Think about me cause he know that it's fat. I thought Nikki, who like, don't come for me barbs like is kind of hit or miss these days in a lot of ways like you never know what nikki's gonna show up as in 2023 like is she gonna is she gonna be putting in the work i mean we could talk about alone later like whether she actually tries or not i'm not sure but i just think like nikki when she comes on a track and she like feels like she has something to prove or she's like playing around with like the next generation like she clearly like is really into ice spice and like wants to be part of the whole movement and they're so different. Like they're just so radically (laughs) different from one another. Like they could not be like more different rappers and it's fun to hear them together. Like they really bring different elements to the song. And then In Her Mood might be my favorite of the three songs. I just fucking think it's the best Ice Spice song ever. It just like captures everything that I like about her. You know who she reminds me of weirdly, Miles? Like maybe this is a, a crazy comp. But early Rihanna in the sense that like her whole zhush is like, does she care? Is she trying? Who knows? And like that kind of lackadaisical quality is like the charm in a certain sense. She's warmer than the the kind of iciness of the Rihanna thing. But there's something about like their cool factor that like kind of clocks on the same level to me. I could not agree more. Boy's a Liar to me is the best song of the year. Yeah without hesitation it's my most Mm -hmm. listened to song of the year it's amazing and she as a person makes me think of this anecdote from la reed's memoir that i always think about when he talks about meeting early avril lavigne she came in played some music he basically sent her away saying like you don't have it yet like it's almost there and then she came back wearing the full avril look of like (laughs) The white tee with the tie and a skateboard and walked back into the room. And he was like, 
oh, now you got it. And to me, yeah. Ice Spice, the songs are there. And then like her in the white sweatsuit <laughs> and the hair and the chain, I'm like, you are a superstar. The field is crowded, but you are singular. Like you are yeah. instantly recognizable. Yeah. The charisma is off the charts. The yeah. tone, the voice, every it's all there. It's all yeah. she's fully formed. She yep. enters the world as here is a new character. And mm-hmm. it's the kind of thing where we've joked a lot about monoculture and it not existing, but there is something deniable that when someone has the right look, the right sound, yep. the yep. right talent in the right place, right time, everyone says it's you. And yeah. like, with her, it's like, it's you. It's you. I completely agree. And also real deep sense of the internet and how it works, which I think is a pretty critical aspect to being an ascendant pop star at this point. Like Absolutely. the fact that Princess Diana is like a response to a meme about her <laughs> being like Princess Diana. And like, she was able to spin that into a song that actually like feels like it, it justifies its existence on its yes. own. Great, I think, expression of her talents. Like singles out the internet phenomenon but then also has the capacity to make worthwhile music out of the meme and like that's like a pretty important i think route to success in pop at this moment so those three songs count as my first song for me all right what's your second un percento by grupo frontera and bad bunny mm-hmm. it's in my most listened to songs of this year boys a liar is number one this is number two and it just came mm-hmm. out I cannot mm-hmm. stop listening to the song. I mean, it's rooted in cumbia. It's part of this larger regional Mexican music trend that's really popping right now. There is another song by Eslavan Armando and Peso Puma that's also in the top 10 of the charts right now. It's just wild that this is a top 10 billboard yeah. sound. <laughs> This is a very regional sound, you know. Selena, obviously, her music was rooted in a lot of cumbia, but to have new artists popping up with that sound in the top of the Billboard charts is so crazy. And the fact that Bad Bunny released this song in between his Coachella weekends, headlining Mm. as the first Spanish headliner of Coachella, and then brought them out and they played a mini cumbia set in the middle of a Coachella headlining slot is so mind bending and just Mm. represents in such an amazing way, like the possibility of what pop music can become now, Mm. you know, Mm. we've hated so much on this sample culture and all this stuff. And although this is harking back to a new sound, this song 1% is about what would you send if your phone was dying on that last 1%? Like that is so modern. That is so every, it's about batteries. Like (laughs) it's about your phone battery. Like this song to me is so major. It just makes me like believe in pop in the corniest way. Yeah. It's so, it's such a pop song. Like so many pop songs are about like, waiting by the phone and Mm -hmm. like this longing and like looking for your love and it's like classic yet modern it's in spanish it's literally incredible and bad bunny like has this verse in the middle that feels like him but it's cleaner it's just so great the song rolls. Yeah, I think everything you said also about what this song represents about like where pop music and stardom is also like outside of even just what the song is. It's just like, here we have the biggest pop star of the moment in America who in does not world. sing in, in, the, in world. the world, but in America in particular, I yes. just say because totally. does not sing in English and is able to explore regional styles from Latin America, for instance, that like 
then can sort of churn into these big hits where he's able to like, fe- as you mentioned, feature this group on stage with him at Coachella. Just speaks to like a version of like pop stardom that feels like completely like it could only happen in 2023. And like, I think exactly. in those rare moments where we get to experience that, it's really exciting in this particular moment because these are where the possibilities I think lie for what could be sort of the, the what I hope is kind of where the future of like more pop music is going at this moment. So completely agree with you. This is a this is a great one. My second is a hundred Gex's Hollywood Baby. Brass Tacks, I just love this fucking song. It's some 41, it's good Charlotte, as sort of filtered through the like explosive hyper pop quality of 100 Gex. It just is an incredible version of those songs. Like it's featured, I love the vocals. I love, I literally cannot stop thinking about fucking Fat Lip or whatever when I'm listening to this song. Like it's just like such a great homage to those things. The reason I say I have complex feelings about it is because 100 Gex I think represents a really important group in pop space right now that actually is kind of representing like a incredibly modern or forward thinking take on pop. And the fact that this song is so like deeply referential and maybe like their clearest, just like conventional pop song that they've ever made. Like I get the function of it. Like it's here to help like introduce a hundred Gex to like more people than just like the internet or whatever. But I guess there is a part of me that's a little bit like, uh Oh, about that conceit. But of course, at the end of the day, I'm a basic bitch who likes good pop songs. And like, this is just a great one. Like, I just love that ripping guitar. You know, it also, what it also made me think is like the long tail impact of sleigh bells on pop music, like cannot be understated. The other thing I hear besides pop punk of the TRL era is sleigh bells and like that kind of like huge fucking crunchy guitar sound and like the big percussive elements and like that kind of being the spare sort of production aesthetic just reminded me so much of that and i just like love the chorus it just makes me want to scream in that exact kind of good charlatan way and i just love love loved this song and i really liked this album as well a lot of good songs in this album i have conflicting feelings about it like when i pull back but when i listen to it i'm just completely into it. Where are you on the Gex phenom? On the Gex train? I'm kind of on the Gex train. Maybe not as major as you, but I'm into it overall. Especially in terms of the fact that like, they always seem like they're having a good time. And I do think that like, it's so funny. Like so much of our conversation is like being so galaxy brain about pop music. And I do think that they do approach their music one in a similar way, but in a way that doesn't feel belabored. Like it feels so Mm. raw and fresh Mm -hmm. and fun. And this song is like such a good example of that. It's so crafted at the same time as like completely freewheeling and mm. it's it's just a joy and I think it's really good. That's a great point. You know, I think they love to like take the pieces of pop music apart and just kind of like reconfigure them like through their sort of worldview. And this was just a fun version of that through like a very specific moment of pop history that like has a lot of meaning to me as I guess in like my our, our age group or whatever same. it is. So so yeah same. I, I know I can count on you for that. All right, yeah. what's your third? My third out of some disappointments come the brightest stars. <laughs> And and I know I've talked about this with you already, that yes. one of our most challenging listening moments of the year was the Miley Cyrus album. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. number three on my songs of the year is Jaded by Miley Cyrus, which I think is a spectacular song. I'm sorry that you're jaded.
and is part of the reason why I'll never give up listening to Miley Cyrus. Because when it hits, like, it really does hit. Like, she mm. delivers. So Jaded to Me is such a great tortured ballad. Her voice sounds incredible. She's singing the crap out of it. I just think it's the smash. And I wish there was more of this stuff, but that's okay. She lets the voice lead on this one for sure. I mean... Just maybe instead of asking it as a separate question, I'll just rope in here. This record yeah. was my biggest disappointment of the year so far. Endless Summer Vacation. Just I just thought it was totally a mess. Most of the songs don't work for me. I just feel like she's unable to find like a cohesive point of view on it. It just doesn't yeah. work for me really on any level. And this song, frankly, didn't totally click for me either when I first listened to it. Like I just found it kind of like, for lack of a better word, like kind of basic. But like, <laughs> I'm glad that you made me re-listen to it because... I really do like it. And she sounds fucking amazing on it in the context of a lot of songs where I'm just like, what the fuck are we doing here exactly? Like, this is one of the only ones that feels like it's direct. She's fully sunken in and she rips the chorus. It's like, let's the voice shine. Like, that's like what we want, I guess, maybe from a Miley song at this point in time. And yeah, this was definitely a standout on an otherwise incredibly disappointing effort, I thought, especially given the expectations that the lead single set, obviously, with its success. So... My third is, again, a cheat, but whatever. Again, this is my show. <laughs> I'm putting, and this will surprise people, BB Rex's Call on Me and yes. Zara Larson's Can't Tame Her onto this list together. And I know that I've referenced this quote on the Patreon show before, but I'm going to read it again because I think it's like literally like the most pointed piece of pop criticism that's like existed in the last few years. And it's Shad D'Souza's opening line of his review of Seagrid's album last year, where he says, there's a certain kind of pop song that plays at gay clubs that you don't really hear anywhere else. You know the type. Punchly, <laughs> you know the type. Punchy, vaguely European, empowering in a totally uncomplicated way, good enough to dance to and catchy enough to sing along to, but which are mostly there to fill time between dancing on my own and stronger. There you go, right? I mean, like, there you go. He just summarized very briefly like an entire subset of pop music that like unfortunately like i happen to like so i feel like every year there's got to be some songs that just like are that like they are totally cliche they have nothing new to offer there's like nothing that (laughs) interesting about any of them but they're just like fucking empowering girl pop gay club banger anthems and to me these two songs are the ones and i'm sorry to ava max who made literally 12 of them on her most recent album (laughs) that are not as good as these two are to me personally like i'm no rexar let me tell you like most be again i hated that blue song i think like so much of her music is just like completely anonymous and like i don't care for it but like this song i'm sorry it sounds like an incredible calvin harris song from like 2011. amazing chorus absolutely like never not gonna get me with the lyrical pov of like i don't need a man to please me i'm just gonna please myself like you know (laughs) that's feminism as we all know in the gay club sense of the word and just like slamming four on the floor 2012 edm song perfect like can't say anything bad about it there's not that much to say about it either it just works for me and can't tame her Obviously, every pop star has to take 
on Take On Me at some point, I guess, in their career. At this point, Zara Larson's up to bat. No, you can't say. It's a little Pat Benatar. It's also a little bit blinding lights, whatever it is. When she says, if we're gonna party all night, all night, I'm sorry, I'm powerless against that. Yet another song that I like don't have a ton of complicated things to say about. It just like works for me as exactly that shot to Sousa quote. Like these are just like completely down the middle faggot anthems. And these are my two faggot anthems for the first half of 2023. Okay. I support any love of my Staten Island sister, BB Rexa. So. <laughs> I'm completely comfortable with you putting this on your list. And I just want to submit a song to that category of this song that I've only heard in gay bars. And for a while, to me, it's the most RIP TNT in Brooklyn. Like (laughs) the most TNT song ever is is Trouble by Iggy Azalea and Jennifer Hudson. Either way though, I think you're worth a test drive. Cause ooh, you're so much better than the next guy. And a little trouble only makes for a good time. So all the normal red flags be a good sign. Don't you come in thinking For some oh, reason, my like, God. that was on the constant like filler TNT playlist. And I've never heard it outside of the context of it being 7.30 at a gay bar and like a little too early. And you're just like, wait, what? But for some reason, like it's weirdly inescapable for me. And I just want to shout that out. Miles, are you predicting the Igasons? I mean, anything is possible. <laughs> All um, right. Okay. What's, your, what's, your, what's your next song? So my next song is a song that I'm just happy to see this person find I feel like a song that's really comfortable for them and it sounds really natural. It's Missing You by Tori Kelly. I feel like her career has always felt sort of picked over and they've tried so many things despite her having one of the best voices out right now her voice is so strong i've mm-hmm. seen her live before and it was incredible and before this she released this collaboration the song with jacob collier who i think is so talented and just really interesting and when that came out i was hoping that she would embrace more of either like a jazzy sound or a more r&b sound and then she comes out with missing you which is this perfect throwbacky early 2000s referencing record and i just really like this song like i yeah. i'm just happy she seems really comfortable she has this like new look she looks really cool i just love that line like i'm off this riesling which is so weirdly specific it just cracks me up and I just really like this song. I think it's a great pop song and I'm hoping that she continues to just like have fun. I felt like her music was like weirdly tortured for no reason. Miles, this was the surprise of this entire endeavor. (laughs) I put this on and I was like, this is a person I have paid zero attention to for all the reasons that you just put out there. I was like, great voice, but who doesn't? I mean, like we all have watched American Idol. A lot of people can sing. Never made a song that like I connected to 
at all. Like literally she existed completely out of my like window of reference completely. This was such a delight. My first note is, oh my God, I'm obsessed with this question mark. I mean, the Craig David sample immediately, of course, like you're going to get me. It's a little bit a nose love you down to me a little bit. Like it's got that kind of like light drum and bass feeling to it. It's like so Y2K. Like I never thought of her as an artist that like even had that kind of like POV. Like her music just always felt kind of broad and whatever. Like it was just kind of nothing. Like this is so sharply like within a certain like aesthetic and per- and like perspective. And it just is absolutely delightful. I've listened to this like 300 times since you sent your list over to me. Like I just, <laughs> I love this song. So glad you brought this song into my life. All right. My fourth is the single from the Boy Genius record, Not Strong Enough. I hadn't really like spent too much time listening to Boy Genius. I guess I had been somewhat aware of the EP. They're a little bit outside of my like exact area of interest. I obviously think Phoebe Bridgers is amazing and really enjoyed Punisher a lot. And this song is just like in its homage to the Sheryl Crow thing. Like again, we were talking a lot about how like music is doing a lot of like backwards looking gestures and like nostalgia heavy gestures. This is one of those moments where I feel like we're doing that, but it's like transcending the reference and like making something new and interesting out of it. And I love the way that this record feels both kind of like an anxious expression of very millennial sort of like like the staring up at the ceiling fan and like thinking about like how fucked up the world is, how fucked up your life is. Like I just can't even relate to that perspective enough, but also feels like at the same time, the kind of song that you want to like roll the windows down and like breeze through like a hazy California afternoon, the wind blowing through your hair at the same time. And I just really enjoy this song. Like I love the lyrical perspective of it. And it just really works for me. And it's been an entree for me to the album, which I have more mixed feelings about, but just really liked this song. Great surprise. Really has worked for me as spring springs here in Los Angeles. Are you into Boy Genius? Absolutely. I love the album. I think it's really good. I'm all in on them. I think they're so cool, all three of them. And I just love their songwriting. It's so sharp. I just I think they're so great. And I'm yeah. happy that they're experiencing, you know, for the three of them, they're all on indies and they've signed to a major as part of this project. And I'm happy that they are experiencing kind of like a pop turn. Yeah. Their music, I think in another year could be recognized as like niche or not meant for mainstream. And they've really flipped that on its head and are having a big moment. And it's really cool to see. All right. So what is your last song? My last song? Okay. Here's me looking forward. And it is Miracle by Calvin Harris and Ellie Goulding. As we fade away from disco, I think we're going to move into trance. And Mm. there's nods to it on the S.G. Lewis project that came out this year. There's notes of trance on the Caroline Polachek album that we talked about earlier. And then this song is a big, fat trance record. Mm. The piano, the the BPM is insanely fast. (laughs) I just (laughs) think that this is a big marker in the ground as like 
this is a record and it's like obviously it's resonated in the uk it's not so much in america which is also to be expected but i do think that this is like a tone setting single that people will follow i think over the next half of the year and into 2024 we're going to hear more notes towards trance music and that's going to be a trend and i think it's a really bold look to be so on the nose with the trance reference this song sounds like it's straight out of 2001 yeah it really gives me almost like real mccoy or something like that was one of the first things like runaway yes. or something like that mm-hmm. meets like on a night like this by kylie minogue or something exactly like some, yeah some sort of like yeah this was another great surprise as someone who's like very lukewarm towards ellie goulding in general and that is being generous this was like a really nice use of her airy fairy voice i thought on top of this like really like intense fast beat and i would love that i think trans revival i'm fully here for that i love that prediction what a great thought i'm excited to hear that that hadn't struck me but like really liked this song i'll put this one notch below tori kelly in terms of just like how fucking excited i was to be surprised by it but like another surprise where i was like shit okay i'm into this this really works calvin harris and ellie goulding in 2023 feeling the vibes okay my last song might be a surprise to people but it's post malone's chemical Okay, so I have mixed feelings about Post Malone in general, but I do think he's a really interesting figure and a great songwriter in many instances. And I know there's been a lot of controversy around this song because he's sort of like positioning it as like, I'm reinventing my musical persona away from hip hop aesthetics. And like, obviously that's a really complicated thing for a white guy who is like obviously utilized hip hop signifiers to great advantage in his work and persona and career. But the truth of the matter is Post Malone is an incredible pop songwriter. Like one of the best working today. I think Circles is like one of the best songs of recent times. And this is one of my maybe more controversial statements, but to me, this is a song that like what Harry Styles like kind of like wishes he could do. Post Malone is just such a more like complex, emotionally raw presence on record and lyricist in a way that like Harry Styles is so remote and like hard to connect to, to me personally. And as all persona and like, there's like not much behind the sort of like facade for me. And I just think this is like the song that like maybe some people like thought as it was, was to them. Like it just is a similar sort of like vibe aesthetic. Again, the take on me vibe is like once again, like here in the mix, but like I just find Post to be a really moving songwriter and like really like transportative. And this song like really takes me into a mood, into a feeling, into like a rush. And I just really like it. It's the song that I, again, surprised me, but that I keep returning to over and over and over again. I'm into a hip hop free post malone album i'd be really interested to know like what that sounded like and this is a promising step in that direction i'm a huge posty apologist and so i was very happy and excited to see it on your list i think this song is really great and it was funny he released this cover of i only want to be with you hootie and the blowfish song (laughs) and like i do feel like this is a weird continuation of that where it's just so Mm. on the nose and like rocky and 
hopeful and I like this song a lot. I think it's a really good pop song. All right. So last question before we get out of here, is there anything like that flew under the radar that you feel like pop fans should be aware of or like people that listen to the show would like? I think one album that I'm, it just came out. So I'm worried that it's going to disappear is the Ryan Beattie project. I think it's Mm -hmm. so good. And when it boils down to it, it's kind of like here's blonde with drums and like get and like whiter and queerer or something but yeah i think it's really good and it's a really tight project it's nine songs and i just think it's kind of exceptional he made it with ethan gruska who produced punisher with phoebe bridgers and i just think it's a really awesome queer like low-key album that i don't want to see get buried so i'm like a weird passionate stan of this album what's on the horizon that you're looking forward to in the second half of 2023 i'm excited to see more from this project from k trinata and amine which they're calling k tramine the Uh second song just came out i think it's super strong sounds just really fun i think they're both super talented and like deserve more than what they have and i'm curious to see if they could make a moment out of this and then i'm also really excited to see more from this singer remy wolf she had the song prescription that just came out which i think is so strong and Uh i feel like she can have her own moment i just think there's a lot of people like that who are cresting right now and i'd love to see some of them really like seize their moment and have a big underdog new pop star kind of career should we go out on that remy wolf song Yeah, it's so good. All right, so let's go out on that. This was so much fun. Miles Tanzer, thank you so, so much for being on the show again. Thank you so much for having me. This is great. Yeah, it was fun.